Blog Talk Radio. Nuclear reactive waste in your water, we're done. 
number World War One and Two, we got away with it. We were able to slide slide by, but it's different now. It will come to the U.S. It will go to Iran. It will go everywhere. And the difference that people need to understand is the Middle East. They have certain belief structures, and they're willing to die for their beliefs. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to look at what's what what is worth it, and and it's just not worth it. We are here to live, and that's what God has us here to do. So. You know, whatever your belief is, whether you're a Buddhist, a Muslim, whatever your belief is, we respect all beliefs. We just ask you to join hands one in one and come together. The other thing, Jay, was WhatsApp. So if anyone uses WhatsApp and you verbally speak on WhatsApp, you've got a serious security breach on your phone, and you need to get online and take care of that because most of us, we may text on it, but we do talk to people on WhatsApp. That's the whole point of it. Otherwise, it would just, we could just text them from our phones in general. So, um, Jay, I don't know if you talk on WhatsApp verbally, but uh, you need to take a look at your phone, whether you have an Android, whether you have, you know, um, uh, an Apple, Samsung, doesn't matter, you know. So I don't know. Your, what are your thoughts on that, Jay? Well, cybersecurity is always the uh, problem when it's been breached. Um, I use WhatsApp, you know, when we both go over to China and stuff, but I haven't used it for a while, so I'm, I guess I have to update it, Carol, because I haven't used it for a while. And I didn't use it that much, but that's scary too, you know. It's like, wow. I, do you, it's just the fact that we're so vulnerable to these uh, things, that this we new are. technology stuff. Wow. Um, so I'm just learning about this right now. So I'm, I'm glad that you shared that with me. And um, I'm going to do something about it immediately when we uh, finish our show. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to go right into this. So we are going to bring on the Moore Twins. And I we have two callers here, Joseph, Jay. So I'm not sure which one it might be, but I'm going to take a chance right here and bring <laughs> them on. <laughs> I don't know which oh, one it could be either, Bill. I'm with you. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Is this, so, do we have the more twins on here, or have we just made fools of ourselves on live radio? Uh, is this is this John and his brother? Yes, this is us. <laughs> okay, great. Don't laugh at us, guys. You know we're do, we're doing the best here we can. Okay, so it's really a pleasure to have you on. You know, so um, don't laugh at us. You have to pl- promise you are not going to laugh at us. Okay, don't laugh. We got. Okay, you got us right. You got us right. We, we're we cool, it. right? Okay, I'm, cool. I'm glad you got us because you know we don't, you know, because you know we know we're a little older. We're not going to say how old, but we're a little older. You know what I mean? So we don't <laughs> want you to, uh, you know, kind of get on our case. Okay, is that okay with you? Sounds good. So. So everyone, our audience, we want you to know we have Jerry and John Moore, and we thank you for joining us. You know, and um, Jay's been talking to you for a while, about you for a while, so I'm super excited to meet you. And um, you know, we're going to just get started, Jerry and John, and we ask that you respond to every question, but don't give away too much of the good stuff because you know we want the audience to hear all this stuff. Is that okay with you guys? Yep. That works for me. Works for us. Okay. Okay. And, and could you tell right. Mitch and Gil, Gil, could you make sure they tell us which one is talking because they got the same voice too? Because I don't, <laughs> I don't know who's answering what, <laughs> and then I can't tell them apart. Yeah, okay. Also, so and I okay. So, uh, so Jerry and John, you won't do that to us, right? <laughs> got it. We got you. Okay, because you two do sound alike. I just. 
thought I heard one and the other. Okay, don't, you know, don't, you know, I'm sure your dad and mom get confused a little bit. Don't confuse us too bad, okay, and embarrass us, all right, because we don't want to be too embarrassed. So we're going to go, we're going to go right into this, okay? So you two have just graduated, and you are, you're both young. So where, where did music start for you? Uh, this is John. Uh, for, for us, actually, okay. music started when we were younger, actually. Um, our parents put us in piano lessons when we were about, I want to say, anywhere from 8 to 11. And um, we didn't really take them seriously until we moved to Huntsville from Chicago in about since we were, I think, about 12. And then uh, we started watching the musicians there play. And then we just stayed up there every church service and we just play and then it just took off from there. Now, how old were you again? I didn't quite hear that one. How old were you? We were 14. Okay. This is Jeremiah. We first started uh, watching the musicians. We were probably around 13 or 14, and we didn't start playing until we were about 15 years old. That's really cool. Well, Jay, I know you had a question for them. Yeah, that's amazing. You guys are quick. But my question is um, to both of you guys. So music is in your blood, it seems. What about music do you love? And what instruments do you play? And also, what had you played these instruments? Why did you, why did you choose these instruments? Well, this is, this is John again. And um, to answer your first question, what is it about music that we love? Um, just speak for me. I love uh, being able to influence people by music, you know, make a, pe- a person smile, you know, um, just to translate it to, because music is really powerful, you know. It can, um, it has the power to change people's moods, or it can, you know, it can do a lot of things. And, you know, I want it to be able to positive influence people, people to dance, things like that. And um, to answer the second question, um, I actually play piano and, uh, like I said before, I didn't really take it seriously at the time. So to be quite honest with you, I'm not really sure how it came. I just knew when I was a kid, I used to say that, you know, I always wanted to be able to play piano. But lo and behold, I didn't think that it would ever come this far. Yeah. And uh, this is Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah. I play bass. I play a little bit of guitar and a little bit of drums. Um, and then to piggy off with, to piggyback off of what John said, I also love to influence people with my music. I like the idea of it because I've always grown up loving music. I just never thought I would be able to actually play it. So this is a dream come true to all the people I've met now, like Jay. There's so many great people out there that play music, and I just love to be able to add to that. Mm, I love what you're saying. Um, Jay, don't kill me. I messed up on one of the questions, so you guys don't don't laugh at me. Um, given that you both are so young and doing so well, you know, graduating is a big thing. That's a that's a milestone. What do you think music does for young people, and which ways and in which ways can they use music to express themselves about the social and global issues that are happening in the world today? I do believe that music is, uh, as again, like I said, music is very powerful. And uh, I think when we were growing up, music became an outlet for me, you know, um, you know, especially if I were having a bad day, especially when it came down to class, class would be really stressful. 
you know, there were times where I needed a positive outlet, and our campus was, you know, fortunate enough to have a music a music room, and, you know, they had a, several pianos. We go in there and, you know, voice our expressions, you know, we can write through there and um, basically, you know, channel our expressions onto into the music. And um, I think that it's a positive way to influence um, not only other people but yourself, too. It, it helped me to stay encouraged to know that not only was I working for a goal to influence people positively, but also, you know, it, it encouraged me as well. And this is Jeremiah. For me, in specific, uh, like John said, class was, I've never been the best student, but music did help me a lot. It helped me keep my focus. It also uh, was great because we would get a lot of calls to different gigs around campus and just to see just how many of our students actually do appreciate jazz and other types of music as well, that it's not all just 808s and trap beats nowadays. It's actually still music and that there's still young people actually doing music out there. And it's a lot more appreciated than I thought it was. Well, that second part of the question is really important for people to know your thoughts on, and that is how can music be used to express uh, themselves and solve social and global issues? Like how can music be used to solve social and global issues in your opinion? I do have a few. I have an example of uh, a song that brings awareness. I, I believe that song can be used as messages because, you know, people don't always listen to people talk. But something that does tra- happen universally is a lot of people love music. And I do believe that there are songs that influence, you know, political decisions and, and people's agendas and, and how the way people feel about certain things. For example, um, We Are the World, I feel like that was a positive song that brought awareness to, you know, what was going on. Or Marvin Gaye, what's going on to real life situations and that people wouldn't ordinarily think about or talk about because it may be seen as taboo or you know not everybody wants to hear it. So I think that it's positive. Even in um, in jazz, I think that it's important to bring awareness to what's going on that people are aware and we can actually talk about it. And the other brother who, um, I don't know who that was that just spoke. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was, that was John. And I feel the Jeremiah, same. I actually, And I feel the same, the feel, I feel the same way. I was actually going to use the What's Going On song as well. I do, I do believe that, that people do actually need to, uh, that even without just using, I guess, verbal words, I think music can tell a message and tell a story. Uh, music can actually help even like if something's going wrong or something's going on uh, in a particular area it can't help uplift it wouldn't be I guess it wouldn't help fix the problem but it can be a band-aid um, Jay can I step in to say, can I step in to say yeah. something <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to offer you something so Part of what Jay and I do is also, and my other partners who are from Hong Kong as well, we coach. And if I can offer you two young men something, I want to ask you both a question. If you were to change your name from more to GoDaddy, I'm just making this up, GoDaddy, you know, would you still be the same people? 
I believe so. I believe so. Okay, so if you just change your yeah, if you just change your name, you're the same people. So a band aid is a fix. It only it, it it just fixes it. It doesn't solve the issue. So and, and you may think it's a play on words, but you know as as the Bible says, you speak life and death with your mouth. So imagine if you wanted to shift the world, which is what your music does, even versatility. You got a little bit of Spanish uh, uh, instruments going on in there, and people can relate and realize it's just not one form of music. So imagine if people can get happy around that music. You just shifted the atmosphere. So if you shift something, you just shifted it from one place now to you shifted it into a new direction. So a shift is always a new direction. A change always makes things remain the same. I just wanted to offer you guys that. A band-aid will never fix anything. But a shift will shift you into a new direction that a, a group of people, a state, a country, or anyone, or a youth or anyone will now be going in that new direction. And that's what your music versatility is doing. It's being versatile. It is shifting the trajectory of people into a new direction. Can you guys... See where I'm coming from with that? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. So that, that's, that's so true. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, no, I just want to expound on that. That is so true. Uh, that versatility song is changing how we look at smooth jazz. You guys are taking it to the next. Because, you know, yeah, when we listen to Kenny G and we listen to most of these other, it's usually a saxophone or it's usually Boney James or something. You know, the people that we like, you know. We used to a different thing, but this this song has definitely a shift. And you guys are look, re- Well, uh, Grandpa, speak yeah. for yourself. I, I listen to all <laughs> jazz. Speak for yourself. Okay, Grandpa. So I know I'm Herbie Hancock. You know, Herbie Hancock and Jeff Loeb and all the guys. Well, yeah, I'm used to that kind of stuff. So I'm just saying what you're saying, Gail, is it's definitely a shift. You guys are changing <laughs> the, the, the foundation, really. But my question, my question is this. Um, who are some of the people that influence you and some of the great musicians you enjoy listening to, to both of you guys? Uh, actually, <laughs> Quite a few. A lot to name. This is John, by the way. Um, just to name a, a, a select few. Uh, a person who was really instrumental in jazz, in my opinion, was, especially for piano, was uh, Chick Corea and uh, Stevie Wonder. They're one of my favorite, um, at least when it comes to listening to and, and, I guess, just trying to find inspiration from. Because in addition to being great players, they were also, in my opinion, they were great leaders and great, you know, shapers of the music world. And uh, this is Jeremiah. Uh, as a bass player, I try not to limit myself to just listening to bass players, but there's a couple of, uh, of musicians that I love to listen to. Like there's uh, Virgin, Virgin White from Earth, Wind & Fire. I like listening to, as, as of recently, I've... I'm glad I met Jay Logan because I really love, I've really been able to appreciate his work, whereas I I, I didn't know about it before. So hearing his music, like the Sunrider album, I love I absolutely love that album. I also love um, uh, bass players like Adam Blackstone, people I believe who can tell a message who actually talk through their instruments. You know, I love that I love that you said that. Um... You know, because my next question is, this is really, you know, um, to me a very powerful thing I'm about to ask you, um, because 
um, you know, I've written, I have a song that's going to be going into the UN and released in the UN, and I'm really excited about it because it came out of the death of my mother, which Jay has done some work on as well. And so being in the music industry, you know, I want to know is what have you found? You know, let's get away from the real cool thing and really tell it like it is here for a minute. For two young men whose mother and father have raised them very well, and you have values and, and things like that, what have you found as the hardest thing in the music industry? And what do you think can be explored in a new way that would make the industry better? Okay, uh, this is Jeremiah Moore. Uh, uh, I guess to answer your first, the first question, uh, the hardest thing, I guess, for uh, me and my brother in, in terms of composing music is, I guess, deciding on one idea because between the two of us, we can come up with a lot of different ideas. So I guess it's not possible. Helps out. And, uh, well, well, let me, well, let me be, a, Jeremiah, let me be a little clearer. When I say the music industry, I'm not speaking of your music. What have you found is the hardest thing of dealing in the music industry? I'm not talking about Jay. I'm talking about given the values that you have of your mother and father, and you guys have great values as human beings. What have you found as the hardest thing in the music industry to deal with, and what do you think could be explored in the music industry that would make the music industry a better place for artists and you know, in general? Okay, I understand. I believe that uh, this is John uh, speaking. I do believe that in from what I've experienced that I would like for the music industry as a whole to be a lot more open. And what I mean by open, I feel like there's a lot of different Politics, I would like to say, when it comes to, you know, the music industry as a whole and um, how people are able to get in, even though they may not be, or they may be, the you know, a, a better player or whatever, a better person, that may not be their musical spread. That's like to change about the music industry as a whole. And in addition to that, I do want to be able to have just spread our music or just spread any music that's positive because I don't always believe that the best music for people or the music that people need to hear is the music that's broadcast or the music that's put on the line. It's, it's not always. In fact, I want to say that it's the opposite and more times than not. It's the music that, you know, that's propaganda or it'll, um, you know, dishonor our people and make us look bad that gets broadcasted for people who want to change the world, even if it is just by music. Music is very powerful. As you can see, it can alter an entire culture. And I do that. That should be changed. Okay. There's some noise in the background, guys, and I know we can't hear you as well. So if, um, if we could uh, just do that so that your audience can hear everything that you're saying. Jeremiah, what are your thoughts on that? We're going to go back to you for a second so that you understand now the question. Sorry about that. Can you still hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I also believe that, or I guess what my take on it would be that I would change, or if I could change, I would like to change on how we as musicians interact with each other, that we can support each other a little bit more because what it seems like, or even though I'm still pretty relatively new to the industry, it seems like with the um, with the exception of a few, that a lot of the musicians are pretty much just for themselves. There's not a whole lot of musicians that are willing to actually help out and, you know, support the bigger picture, which is to get the music out there 
it just kind of seems like everybody's kind of fending for themselves for the most. Got it. Um, I just want to say a shout out real quick, uh, Jeremiah and your brother. I want to thank you for playing on the song for what, that's going to the UN. Um, that means a lot to me personally because my mother died seven years ago now. Okay, and that song was created to bring people all over the world together in a particular way, and that is remembering to have dinner with their families or hang out with their friends and whatever. So um, I know the Jay asked you guys to play on it. I just wanted to thank you for that because you can make a difference for a lot of people. Okay? Thank you. And I wanted that to be publicly stated. Um, So, Jay, I know you had a question for them. I sure do, Gail. Um, Is it hard to create your own music? And what time of day do you create music? I could say, um, it, oh, this John, um, I think it depends. Sometimes it's easier than others. I would say the hardest thing about creating music in general to me would be just trying to make a sound that will impact all listeners because um, it can be really challenging to hit a certain age demographic and hit all of those age demographics because, as we stated earlier, not everybody is into the same thing. We're just trying to make something not only that we don't want to compromise our sound in the process of that, and I feel like that can be challenging. It could be different, and difficult rather. And this is Jeremiah. I feel usually I'm for the most part, especially now that we're doing music full time, it can be easier and still it could be it could it could be either way for me. Usually I feel a lot more inspired now that I have more time to actually write music now. So I, I, I guess the time part doesn't really help, or doesn't really help or hurt, but uh, staying focused for me and staying keeping my priorities would be the hardest to uh, making music because I can, if I I think it also depends on the time of I mean um, the uh, quality of my day. I feel like I'm a little bit better. I don't have writer, as much as writer's block if I have a good day as, as opposed to if I had a bad day. Hmm. That's interesting. Mm, I like that. <laughs> it is. I know. You see, I hate this. You say, you know, we want to jump on this, right? Uh, right. So, okay. I'm. I'm gonna. I, I'm always telling Jay to stick to the questions, and he's always telling me to stick to the questions. So, I'm. I'm trying not to go there because you guys are opening up some good conversation here. Um, how important is education to you? Okay. And not just you, but all ages, because I hear youth and whatever, but all ages. And how does music play into this factor? And I don't know if it was Jeremiah or John, but one of you said that you weren't that great of a student, but that music helped you to stay focused. So you actually already aspire to answer this, but can you go a little more in depth, both of you, about how important is education to people of all ages and how does music play a factor in that? Okay, this is Jeremiah. I think it's very important for uh, education. I may have not have always felt like it, but definitely is as my college years went on, I figured out that it's, it's imperative because, for for example, I didn't start in music. I, I kind of went off of it by by ear and watching other musicians. But I didn't realize just how badly I needed it until I actually got in school. Learning the theory is imperative to gigs. So like if you if you're if you're going on a number system or if you're not reading music, those numbers are going to be imperative. Or if you are reading you're going to need to be able to learn how to read music in order to in order to do a certain gig 
and as well as uh, okay, so we graduated in um, entertainment tech. So in learning how to record our music, it helps a lot instead of just trying to find out, trying to find it out on your own. It, it, it definitely helps. And as far as uh, and even just outside of the music industry, it it it, it sure helps me a lot because there was a whole lot that I didn't know, and to have education is is everything. And well, this John, is going to shock Jay. John, go ahead. And just to piggyback off of what Jeremiah was saying, I, I completely agree. Um, education was really big, or it is really big, not in just the music, but I do believe that it also opens doors that wouldn't also, it wouldn't naturally be open. You know, just like in any job, you know, a lot of people want to see that degree. They want to see, because a degree, it isn't just a piece of paper. It's it's basically, a, a, I don't want to say it's a medal, but it is. It's a medal. It's something to show that you were, you were, um, you were, you were able to keep it going. You were able to stand by it and push on through. It's something. It's something to be. It's something to be proud of. And it also, I believe, like it, like I said, it makes you marketable. It makes you stand out because not everybody wants to go to school. But yes, even though school is hard, it, but it's exactly what you want it to be. It can be as easy for you as it wants to be, or the other way around. But I do believe that school is very important. Of course, like Jeremiah said, I didn't see that naturally going through it. But, um, you know, when we were standing by and we were getting our degrees, there was, you know, there was nothing by it. And honestly, I, I quite miss it, honestly, if I could say it again. But um, we do believe that school, we would always recommend that you go to school because we do believe that it's important. And more than just music, but well, just in your life and more well-rounded. Well, I just wanted to say this real quick before Jay gives you your last question and we bring Jocelyn on. Um, so, Jay, I'm about to make a, an announcement. You're going to fall on the floor, I know. So I've decided to go uh, go back to school. And what? it will be an international uh, – what? yeah, well, wait a minute, an international relations and music, the creation of music. I will be back in the studio again. And so – that's big. And one of the things I wanted to just share with you guys is I love to learn. And being at the UN every day, a lot of people, and I want to say this to you guys because as you guys are on here, there are people probably listening, let's get them into the UN. Let's do this or that. No, we're actually looking at creating a new division in the UN for artists. And our group is also responsible, Jay and I, for getting, um, our group is responsible for getting artist inclusivity into the UN. But the UN is not something to leverage so that you look good. The U.N. is real, like the Iranian crisis right now with the U.S. That's where they go to talk. If we didn't have the U.N., we wouldn't be on this phone right now because we, we would all probably be blown up. But there's something you have to learn at what goes on in that place. You have to learn, you know, about what music can do audibly and, and physics-wise, what it does to the mind and to the behavior of the mind, you know, and um, – we're very lucky that our, um, our our radio show is shared with the UN. But I wanted to just be clear about that. I love learning, and I love that you guys said that you kind of miss learning. You know, um, I come from the South too. Jay comes from the South. Our families, and I think it's the values that we get that we're given. And that's why I'm so, it's such a pleasure to talk with you guys and know the kind of parents you have and the kind of. Um, relationship you have to yourselves and others and that you're open both ways to all generations. I really just want to acknowledge you both for that and acknowledge your parents, um, Mr. Moore and Mrs. Moore for who they are in your lives. 
Um, so I know Jay has one last question for you, and then I hope you guys will come back with us again because you guys got into some stuff that we want to get more into. Would you come back and visit us again? Sure. Okay. Well, Jay, I know you have one more question. Yeah, and this is a question that me and Gail pretty much had together because we want to talk about this new song. So could you tell us about your new song, Versatility? And do you see yourself doing music for the rest of your lives? Oh, this is Jeremiah. Um, I guess to answer the second question first, yes, I would love to do music full-time for the rest of my life. I wouldn't have it any other way. And about the versatility, um, are you asking how it, how it got started? Or yeah, I want well, to no, know. We're asking. Know, actually, well, like now that you've you. done versatility, yeah, now that you've done versatility, and this, you know, how does it play into you doing music for the rest of your life? Is what we're saying. Okay, this is John. I'll, I'll answer the first part of that question. Um, I do believe that versatility. The plan is to have it. Um, basically show how versatile that we can be and also just to show the world that is there we just want to bring into a, a new style you know like we said earlier we wanted to slightly change the paradigm of music to not just being into one genre we kind of wanted to mix it so that you know multiple people and multiple families can enjoy things and just have something new to listen to got it got it well we thank well, you so much definitely. Go ahead, Jake, please. No, 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 the song sure is versatile. That's all I was going to say because, like Gail said, you know, yeah, you got a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of Latin, a little bit. So I hope everybody enjoys that song because it's definitely versatile. <laughs> That's all I wanted to say, Gail. And we will definitely put it out there, and um, we will share where everybody can find you at and, you know, on Amazon and all the places. And we just thank you so much for being a part of the show. You made this a lot of fun for us. And um, I'm glad you're going to be back. And, guys, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. Okay. And, and also, and, um, also, make sure. Also, also, <clears throat> oh, yeah, I don't want to say something. Also, make sure that tell your pops and your moms that me and Gail said hello and job well done. <laughs> thank you. Will do. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And now, Jay, I cannot wait to bring on the illustrious Miss Jocelyn Chia. We had her back. Yay! Listen, gives yeah, listen, gives the boy radio, and this woman Yay. is just amazing. Whatever she touches, it just happens. She went from lawyer to consultant, now to one of the top comedians around the world, Jay. I mean, whatever she says she's going to do, she's going to do. So we're just going to bring her right on in. Hooray. Ms. Hi, Jocelyn everyone. Tia, how are you? How are mm, I'm you? good. How are oh you? <laughs> Hello. It's Hello. been a while. Or as they say know, in America, it's been you're... a minute. <laughs> yes, and I think you remember Jay. Hi, Jay. Yay. Hi. Hi, Jocelyn. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Excited that you're here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you, you know, Jocelyn. I, you know, so, Jay, this is, this is a funny thing. I see Jocelyn last night, haven't seen her in a long time on Facebook, right? And she lives in D.C. now, and I'm like, you know, this would be great to have her on the show, especially, living, you know, the times we're in now. And she'll make us all laugh, you know. So, Jocelyn, I remember when you were a lawyer, 
And then you mm-hmm. said, well, Gail, you know, Alice, I'm going to be a consultant. Then you came, became one of the top consultants, right? <laughs> then you said, well, I'm going to be a comedian. And Jay, let me tell you, she was a top lawyer. And she said, I'm going to be a top. She's just sitting down one day with Alice and I, our other partner. And she's like, you know, I think I'm going to go work for this consulting firm and whatever, whatever. And Jocelyn didn't skip a beat. And what I loved is that no matter what she puts her mind to, she does it and she sticks to it. And then you decide to become a comedian. Now, when you first said that, Jocelyn, I have to be honest with you. I'm like, Jocelyn's joking. And then the next thing I know, Jay, she's one of the top comedians around the world. So can you tell us how you were able to be successful in all three of these areas, Jocelyn? Uh, I mean, all right, so this is a complicated question for me because I get that on social media and on the surface, everyone looks successful and that they're living their best life, right? So, and, and I do get, yes, I did go to a good law school and good law firm and top consulting firm, well, in, in the field that I was in, and now I'm performing comedy all around the world. So I, I get that it looks good. I do have a certain measure of success. Um, so to do that, yes, I do think like what you say, I, when I put my mind to something, I do do it. Um, but I do struggle with quitting itis. Um, and, and it's easy to, to feel like I want to give up a lot of times, especially in comedy. I think comedy is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Um, but I, I think it's about catching your pattern. If you have a pattern of always quitting when things get hard, um, then you can now be conscious of it and, and do something about it, right? So I, I want to, I think of quitting comedy, like, oh, maybe like every other day, but it's kind of, it's gone better now. Um, but I know that's my pattern. Like when things get hard, I just want to quit. Um, so I just stop myself and it's kind of like breaking an addiction. Like it's, you have one way of living and you can choose to not be that way. Well, I know Jay had a question for you. Wow. Yes, um, that's in the worst of me quitting itis. I hope I don't ever catch that uh, disease there, Gail. Uh, but uh, I have, I think I got, I did suffer from that for a minute. <laughs> um, what? Yes, the question. <laughs> I have suffered from it before. I know the feeling. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I hope I it's not medication for it. <laughs> Well, uh, it might be, you know, maybe a glass of wine here. And there. Well, well, that's a whole other story. Me and Gil get a little. <laughs> but the, yeah, the question I had, Josh, I'm so excited you're back on the show. But the question I had was three different careers, and yet you're doing it. What challenges did you face? In all three of them, or? Just in general. What challenges? We'll, we'll take there? anything right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think for huh okay so I would say a lot of it is um self-doubt and negative talk so I'll just give you a, a, a recent experience I'm going through right now so this is so fascinating because when I first started comedy I was less than six months in. I was maybe four or five months in, and this veteran comic came up to me, and he said, you know, you're killing because of your delivery, but your jokes need to be better. You need to work on your writing. And so for the past six fucking years, I've had that story in my head 
that I am not a good writer and I'm a better performer than writer. And that's been my stumbling block. And I've wanted to quit many times because I believe with my whole heart and head that I sucked as a writer, right? And that, and that, um, I'll, I'll never have a great career in comedy because I'm just not a good writer, but I'll, I could deliver a good joke. And then I've been doing The Artist Way. If you don't know, The Artist Way is a book for block artists and block creators. I, I came across this book a good 20 years ago, started and stopped, never finished it, finally threw it away. I mean, Wells gave it away. And, and I was, I'm never finishing this silly book. And then this time around, all of a sudden, I felt very drawn to it because I was having another bout of quitting-itis or quit-itis. And it was like a serious one because of that thought that I couldn't write good comedy. And I, I had this intuition to pick up the artist's way again. And one of the exercises were, who were your creative monsters? Like, who, you know, killed your creativity or told you couldn't be a creative, et cetera? And I was like, and the first image, image that came to mind was this guy. And he, he, he came from a place of love. You know, like he was genuinely trying to help me be a better comedian. He probably did not only four months in. So for any four months in comic to be killing it based on anything, it's like a miracle. So like, I, I didn't know that at the time. But now I'm like, yeah, if I saw a, a comic kill and I was like, you've been doing it for four fucking months. Yeah, just keep doing what you're doing is what I would just say. Right? And I wouldn't give any kind of like fucking criticism or whatever because they're still finding their feet. But so he probably didn't know that he came from a place of love. So I'm not demonizing him. Like I think he came from a, a genuine good place. But I was like, oh my God, this was the guy that gave me the, the thought in my head that I am not good enough a writer. And then I have this Facebook video that was put up a few weeks ago that went viral. And today, um, I wanted to see the number of views that were on it because I was trying to get this woman I met yesterday to be on my new vodcast. And so I just want to be like, oh, you know, the last video that was put up has over a million views because of this Facebook channel that I'm on. Um, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so that was the reason why I went to see it. And and before that, I, I didn't look at the comments. I was like, hey, don't look at comments because comments are always very brutal and vicious, right? People can be just very mean to one another on, on, on um, the internet. And... I looked at all the comments, <laughs> and the vet, like I'll say, maybe ninety percent were great. You know, people were tagging their friends and sharing the videos, saying, "Oh my God, I love her," etc. And then, like the 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 few negative comments, though, insulted my delivery. I was like, "No fucking way!" And okay, you know, I, I comedy is very debatable, but like the majority of the the few negative comments were all like oh, yeah, her delivery is off, la, la, la. I was like, really? And Okay, I don't know whether they are right or wrong, but the point being is like, what if I have been wrong this whole time? What if I am actually a great comedy writer? Right? What if um, he was wrong and, and this is now the thought that has been stumbling me? Because I've had many comedian friends say, oh, I admire your writing, I admire your writing, and I'm like, no, my writing sucks. And so I, I to... to circle back to answer your question, I think a very, very big challenge is one, negative self-talk, but also believing in the negative feedback that other people give you. And and like this Facebook comments, I mean, okay, like 90% were amazing comments. And of course, my mind is like going through like the one or two like negative ones that really jumped out. I'm like, oh, you know, I just want to, I actually replied to one of them. I couldn't help. It was very factual. So I replied based on fact rather than, if someone was like, oh, she's not funny. I can't be like, no, I'm funny. You know, that's stupid. That's just opinion. But someone was like, how old is this video? You know, this is all the material she has. And because this guy had put up um, a video of mine that was three years old, I don't know why he chose that, but he did. Um, so, so I was just like, yes, this video is three years old. And of course, I'm more mature than that. La, la, la. You know, he, he took a video from three years ago. 
um, if he had asked me, of course, I wouldn't have chosen that. So that was like a factual reply because I didn't want someone thinking out there in the universe that this is all the material I have because that's embarrassing for any comedian. Wow. Well, you know, as a comedian first starting out, what types of other jobs did you have to do? Uh, I still have my part-time job. Uh, I got very lucky with it. Uh, I got a job. I had taken a storytelling class because as, as part of my creative move, I got into the moth and, and wanted to tell stories more effectively. So I took a storytelling class at an improv theater with Adam Waite, who had won 20 moth slams. And because of that, I got on their mailing list and they had sent a job opening for a director of corporate events. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's kind of like a bridge between my comedy side and my corporate background. And I interviewed, and I got the job. And I've been there for, this is the longest job I've ever had. Um, so it's pretty much my lifespan as a comedian has tracked my lifespan with this job. And so it's been about five and a half years um, with this company. So it's an improv theater. It's comedy-related. I get free improv classes, which is amazing. Uh, and I, I, I book their corporate events. So when a corp- corporation wants to do an improv workshop, that's that's the the thing that I do. And it's amazing because it's part-time, so I have the time and energy to focus on my own comedy. And it's also um, telecommuting, so I can work from anywhere in the world. I can be um, in London and I'll do my work during the day and then go do a show. Or if I'm in Singapore, I'll go do a show and then come home at say 11 p.m., which is 11 a.m. or 10 a.m., depending on um, the time change, uh, I mean daylight savings, and, and work from there. So it can be a little tough, like I sometimes working until 3 or 4 a.m. Uh, in the morning in Singapore, but, you know, I, I, I get to um, keep my my day job while doing comedy all around the world. So I, I think I'm very grateful for this. And some other comedians you talk wow. about in general, some other comedians are dog walkers. So they walk dogs during the day. Uh, some are babysitters. I, I think anything that doesn't suck your mental energy, because I have some comedian friends who are um, like lawyers, right? And they try to comedy at night and and they pretty much are hobbyist comedians, right? They, they I think, I personally think it's impossible to really get to a certain level of success in comedy with a, a intensive full-time job. Although I know of like maybe one or two very brilliant, very disciplined and very organized comedians who do manage to do that and really hats off to them. Wow. That's, this is great. Jay, um, I know you had a question for Jocelyn. Oh, yeah. Um, so when did, when, Jocelyn, when did you realize how funny you were? I kind of had an inkling when I was a young girl, like maybe around nine or so, where I would crack my classmates up, and I'd be like, what's so funny? And they'd just say, oh, it's the way you said it, which, again, fed to my positive <laughs> thought that I was a good yeah. deliverer, right? So it's very interesting how, like, your self-talk is just, like, formed by other people um, when really we should be the ones that's talking to ourselves in a positive manner. Uh, so I kind of had an inkling since then because um, that would happen quite quite often, Um even when I was doing this memoir class about how to write your own memoir, uh, my, my classmates were like, you know, you, you're, you like say these things and we all crack up and you're like, what? What's so funny? Like you always do that. And it's true. I always, always do that. I'll say things that I didn't intend to be funny. I'll be like perfectly serious. I'm, I'm making a serious point here. And people will be like, ha, 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 that was hilarious. I'm like, no, it wasn't supposed to be. So that was like a good indication. Um, I mean, the main 
actually the main impetus for me being a comedian, the very first one was um, when I was doing a, a course for, for women in life transitions called She Creates Change. And one woman at the end was like, Jocelyn, you're so funny. You know, every time you talk, people laugh. Like, I want to see you do stand-up comedy. And that was the first person that ever put the thought of doing stand-up in my mind. Like, I I had seen, like, maybe two shows in my entire life, and not very good ones either. It wasn't even at a club. It's some, I, like, randomly saw something um, in a ballroom dance floor. <laughs> it's like, like some random thing. Um, and... So that's how it started. So I think, um, yeah, I would say the very first indication that I was funny was at nine years old. Well, I want to know. Well, I want to know. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. No, she is funny. You have no idea. In these in these times, how important is it to make? How important is it to make people laugh? And what are the things people say to you? Um that has empowered you almost to tears after, after, your, after your comedy set. So let me be clearer. And, and, and what, you know, in, in these times, how is it important to make people laugh? And what are the things people say to you after you do your comedy show that they, they appreciated you, that brought you to tears? What did they say after my show that what? has brought you to tears, like, you know, how they loved your show. What has someone said to you that's brought you to tears about what they said about your um, your show? Maybe you lifted them up in some way. And also the second question is, in the times that we're living in now, how important is it to make people laugh? Uh, so, well, I think, I think the obvious answer is it is pretty impor- important in, in these times because um, comedy is very uniting, right? Like, Whatever your political beliefs or religious beliefs, we're all human and we all face similar emotions, similar struggles. So if you come to a show, like a show is so uniting. I mean, as long as the comedian doesn't divide the crowd with going political and religious and they they can and should, you know, I'm not saying they shouldn't, but if, if the comic is not doing a set that gets divisive, like just a, a, a set focus on our common humanity and everyone's laughing like it's such a bonding experience uh it, it makes people realize uh our, our common humanity and everyone leaves a comedy show a good one anyway like smiling and happy and, and laughing like when 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 i go up on stage so i think when i first started i was more self-absorbed like oh i hope my jokes work i hope i'm funny i hope they laugh right so me 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 and then when i i, I shift that to like well i'm uh being of, of service in some way, you know, I'm lifting people's vibrations and energies and moods up. They're going to go home happy, um, which dovetails into the question you were asking. I've had people say, you know what, the next day, me and my husband were still calling back to your jokes and laughing and like teasing each other based on what you said, meaning like they'll take a line from my joke and, and say it like, okay, let's have a who's your daddy joke. Like so the next day, the, the husband will be like, so who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? You know, I guess like using my joke to light, lighten up their, <laughs> really, if they're, they're Indian, that's why the accent came out. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Um, and so the most touching thing I, I, okay, so I think the the ones that touch me the most are, are so I do remember one woman, she came up to me, and she was like, I did not want to come to a comedy show tonight. Okay, I was having 
the worst day. I was feeling so depressed about my life. And and my friend dragged me out. I was like, I'm not even gonna laugh at a single joke. <laughs> she was like, I am not gonna laugh. All right, I'm just gonna. She's like, don't put me in front because the comedians are gonna hate me because I'm not gonna laugh at anything. And then she was like, but your set cracked me up so much. And she's like, I am now so glad I came and I'm gonna go home feeling happy. So I was like, oh my god, like I managed to change. The entire mood of someone from humor, and clearly it wasn't just me, right? Other comedians too all, all, all helped it, but she, she complimented myself. She's like, your set was, was what did it for me. And, and that was just so, so moving and touching. Wow. It, it gives well, me greater purpose had... to what I do. That's good. And that's what it's all about. And Jado, you had something too. Well, um, <clears throat> what is your most funniest story? that an audience member has shared with you? Hmm. Most of the stories they share aren't that funny. They're like, oh, you can use this in your act. I'm like, ha, thank you, but no thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very interesting to me, the stuff that people find um, funny enough to tell on stage. I'm like, uh, your, your, your husband, husband farted this morning uh, next to the dog and he blamed the dog yeah that's not very funny you know it's funny in a story like amongst friends sure but uh hmm no I'm gonna have to pass on this one I don't think it's anything like that's crazy funny that, that a fan has told me or at least I can't think of it off the top of my head okay well if anything comes up for you let us know you know I want sure. I do uh I, you know do you want to do comedy for the rest of your life and what have you found in comedy that you did not find in your other careers? Okay, so if you could keep questions like one at a time rather than compound, so so I can answer one at a time, that'll be easier for my mind. Um, it's also a very lawyerly technique, by the way. So I, I apologize for That's having a lawyer too. come out to me. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. So my, my first I'm like, question is, my, that's like coming up from my evidence class. Compound question, you know. <laughs> okay. So, um, do Do you want to do comedy for the rest of your life? Uh. So, uh, probably not. I mean, I can't imagine being 70-something and still getting up to tell jokes. So, no, I don't think I'll be doing it for the rest of my life. But I would say for, for a good chunk, um, maybe another 20 more years. I mean, I would like to retire at some point. I guess there's some comedians like Joan Rivers who really literally did it till her dying day. Uh, I'm not sure. I do think... Um, Assuming I have a certain amount of financial stability by the time it comes to a retirement age, like 60, 65, that would be nice to also focus on other things that I want to do in life before I die, right? Because comedy is very all-consuming. All uh, it takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. Uh, I mean, ask me again in 20 years, but as of right now, <laughs> okay, okay, I talked to a comedian. Um, we went on a road trip uh, to do so I don't live in DC by the way I'm just here for shows I live in New York so we were on a road trip to do Delaware and Maryland uh so this is just a few days ago and she's been doing it for 17 years and she's just talking about how tired she is you know like she looks very young she's in her 30s but she looks in her 20s and her her comedian best friend Carmen Lynch who's been on Letterman and a fantastic comedian Carmen Lynch was saying oh you're still so young and when she was talking about getting a little jaded she Carmen was saying you're still so young 
and this friend of mine was saying, I may still be young, but I've been doing it 17 years. She started at 16. I've been doing it 17 years, and I'm tired. And you can't take away my tired. And I'm like, I get it. Even at six years in, I'm like, yeah, it can be a very tiring profession. So to be old and still, like, being on the road and driving to, like, I don't know, Boonfuck, where I don't want to insult any state, but, you know, let's say Boonfuck, Missouri, (laughs) and, um, and then getting up and doing two, three shows a night. And by then, I'll be a headliner, of course. So it was like 45 minutes or so um, each show. Like, I can't even – I wouldn't choose to do that in my in my retirement years. I would like to enjoy the sweetness of life then. If I was like a Jerry Seinfeld, right, and he can um, go to go do like one theater show for 2,000 people, then, yeah, maybe I still would. But um, as of right now, like that's relatively impossible to get. So – uh, more realistically, would I want to do, um, like I say, Missouri at 65 years old? No, the answer is no. I would rather do other things in my dying day or twilight years. Um, and your second question? Is what have you found in comedy that you have not found in, uh, in <laughs> other careers? Mm. So when I when that friend of mine first suggested I do stand-up, that very night, I went home, and there was this like, email in my inbox saying, do you want to try stand-up comedy? I'm like, get the fuck out of here, universe. So I was like, oh, my God, there was a free talk on, on being a stand-up comedian. I went to the talk, and this guy was saying, you're going to be surrounded by professionally funny people, and how much fun is that? And that was actually what sold me. I was like, yeah, that does sound like a lot of fun. And and I realized in my life, I, I do make a lot of this, like life-changing decisions based on like, yeah that sounds like fun my aunt did that too she got married because she's like I think it sounds like fun and then she's been married for like 40 years so I heard that and I was like yes sold and I think that's the one thing that I get a lot more from my career now is um how much fun it is to be amongst comedians I mean just Going to the CVS with two comedians can just crack me and the whole CVS store up. I was um, doing a road trip with two very ta- uh, three, three very talented comedians, and I saw the way they would just like joke with the cashier and like they left that CVS store roaring with laughter. I was like, wow, what a gift it is to just bring laughter everywhere you go. Um, so that's, that's what I do again. You know, my lawyer and consultant friends, I would crack a joke like once, once every six months, but like it wasn't the, the regularity it is now. And or like when I go to a show and I'm waiting to go on or after I get off, um, you know, I, I enjoy hearing people set. And of course, when I'm on stage and really killing it, like that level of high, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced before. Like the, I mean, when you make someone laugh, I assume everyone gets that jolt of pleasure when you make someone laugh, right? I, I don't think it's just me. or Maybe it's just comedians, and that's why we do it. But I think everyone gets a bit of pleasure when you make one person or a group of people laugh. Can you imagine making, like, 200 people crack the fuck up? Or, like, you can see someone in the front row, like, wiping away tears of laughter that you just produced. Like, that's crazy. That's in a great way. Like, that's so crazy that I'm like, wow, this job is and for all the tiringness, like, this job is pretty fucking cool and awesome. And and if I got paid good wow. money for it, because sometimes we don't get paid or we don't get paid much. So that's where the hardship comes from. But um, sometimes you get paid great, too. And so when I get paid good money, 
and it's a great crowd and a great show. So I got paid so much money just so much fun. This is amazing. So that's when like I'm really in the zone. Like wow, I just got great money. We're having so much fun and making all these people feel good and go home happy. Like what a what a gift to be able to do something like that and still get paid well for it. Well, thank you. Um, Jay, I know you had one more question for her. Yes, and I thank you so much, Gail, for putting it through the uncompounding question machine, and I appreciate that. <laughs> so this is just going to be one. <laughs> thank you, Gail. You know what to do. Um, I hear you're gaining press from all over the world. In three steps, can you share with young people how they can attain their dreams, too, just like you? <laughs> hmm. You know what? I think um, so. a lot of people will give you advice based on like what you can do, what you can do. But I think actually what's really important is to have people who support you. And I, I don't think I could have done this if my, my dad hadn't been very supportive. You know, my mom is not supportive, but oh, she wasn't anyway. But now she sees me on TV and everything, so she's slowly starting to ask me things like, mm, all right, so how was your show? And before that, she just ignored it. Like, I was on Comedy Central, and <laughs> she, my dad dragged her to the taping, and, and we are, we're on our way home, and, and she's like, is it too late to go back to the law? So, like, she was like, that was her. Um, but this year was the first year that she's like, mm, all right, how was your show? So she's starting to take more of an interest. I think she's come to terms with, all right, her daughter's a comedian. Well, for the, I don't know if she still tells people, but as of last year, when people ask her, what does your daughter do? She'll just say, mm, she's in sales. <laughs> so that is that. But uh, my dad was very supportive, so that was great. And my friends, a lot of them were very supportive. Um, so they came out to my shows. And I couldn't, I don't think I could have gotten this far without their support, you know, because you need that affirmation, especially as an artist. You need that affirmation from, from, from the people around you. Uh, which actually brings me to a point that I've been thinking lately. Um, you know the whole Instagram thing where you're supposed to have, like, I don't know, a gajillion followers and not follow anyone? Are, are you aware of this, like, phenomenon? Or mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, recently a, a comedian, a uh, friendly acquaintance, like a friendly acquaintance of mine uh, unfollowed me on, on Instagram, and I've had comedian friends like do the bait and unfollow like they'll follow you you follow them back and then they'll unfollow you all in the names of like pumping up their instagram follower but make them seem so cool they're not following anyone like okay i think that is bullshit right because speaking of supporters (laughs) if i have a genuine connection with someone i met at a show and they follow me I I think I, I usually follow. I've decided to just follow them. But if I if I really connect with you and we and we chat, like if you're a random person following me, I don't know who you are. No, I won't follow back, right? But um, uh, but if you like talk to me and we had a connection, I actually feel like following back is better because followers can be bought, but connections have to be forged, right? And what what a friend is better than a fan. So like if a friend follows me. If, if I do see that they follow me, because sometimes I miss it, so I apologize to all the friends who, like, followed me and I, I didn't follow back. Um, I, I feel like a friend is better than a fan because your friends are, are even more supportive than, than a fan. I mean, okay, I have some very avid fans who are a little um, over the top, but um, I, I, so I, this is my new thing, all right? Like, you want your, your tribe, you want your supporters. If someone follows you and you know this person and you like this person, like, fucking follow them back. Like, who gives a shit if you have, like, 
a million followers and you follow back 800,000 of them. Like, if these 800,000 people are people that you had con- a connection with and you talk to and you like them, they're going to be even more enthusiastic of a fan if you're also liking their photos and commenting. So I'm like, stop it with this bullshit. Like, I, I just want followers, but I don't want to follow anyone back because I'm, like, the queen of the world. Like, ah, it, it's now kind of driving me nuts that people would, like, choose this kind of uh, pretense or popular, I mean, not even pretense, but it's, it makes a popularity over like a genuine connection with someone that they're actually friends with. Some of these have been my actual friends. I'm like, are you kidding me? You just follow me and unfollow me for this bullshit song and dance? Oh, it makes me so mad. So I, I get it. Wow. Um, can you tell, our last question is, can you tell us how comedy solves global and social issues? <laughs> It makes me, you remind, you made me think of um, John Oliver's bit about how he saw, he was at this airport and everyone was stranded because the the airline was delayed like four hours or so and everyone's in a bad mood and, and getting feisty with one another. And then this pigeon walks in in the airport and now everyone's just fascinated by this pigeon. And, and the whole, the entire mood changed. Like everyone's now talking about the pigeon. Like, what is this pigeon doing here? Can we fly on the pigeon? Like, is the pigeon going to get us to the wall? You know, like it, it just got so light and funny. And he was like, if only like international crises could be solved by a pigeon. You know, but, but, and what he means is like, can, what, can, can we have, humor just solve a, a crisis and I know a lot of times um, people would diffuse a, a tense situation with a joke and it, it can be very effective so if, if like all these um, world leaders got together and and saw a comedy show or did a, a, an improv workshop together I think there would be a lot more um, empathetic of one another, especially if they did improv together. I think improv is such a great way of like getting people just connecting in a fun, silly manner, putting their egos aside. Uh, yeah, I, I think it, it definitely would help for sure our international tensions. Uh, is it ever going to? I, I don't know. I don't know if you would be open enough to to do that. You know, I think people tend, when they get into their serious mindset, they they kind of um, dismiss the role of comedy as just frivolous so I'm, I'm not sure it'll practically help but I think it definitely could hmm. Interesting. well we thank you so much for being with us and um, yeah just just really being with us today and you know you're still the same old funny person and I'm so glad <laughs> to have you know have had you here and you know, we just look forward to you doing more great work. You know, Jay, just to let you know, she was written up by the um, the Chinese, the China Post and some other major newspapers uh, recently. So thank you for the work you're doing. Yay. Hi, My pleasure. And um, if I could say one more thing. So I, I saw for the – I saw Girls Trip for, for the first time a couple of days ago. And I, I don't know if you, you or your listeners have seen it. Probably, probably, I know it's a pretty popular movie, so maybe most people have. But it, it just made me re- really remember that, you know, how someone can look so perfect um, on the surface, right? And then you, you see all the stuff that's going on inside. And 
and I do that too. I, I'm guilty of looking at someone's Instagram and be like, ah, oh, her life is so fucking perfect. My life is so imperfect. I wish I was her. And and now that I'm, I'm the person that other people think is such a perfect life and is so successful, etc. So I just want want to say, you know, we're we're all still human and we all still go through shit. And and even if you, but if, even if you are going through shit, things can and will get better. I'm I'm with a friend now who um who had some really tough times financially and with her career, and now she's in a great job. And, and oh, and she was having a tough time with men, and she's happily married. So I, I guess the, the message is really more like you know it's easy to get into the envy trap. Uh, don't try not to. You know, try to break that habit and addiction. I think it's a habit as well that we get into. And if anyone's having like a rough time or a rough period of their lives and think they'll never get better, um, know that it, it, I would say it like most likely will get better. Okay. Yeah. I'm such a lawyer. So I, feel like I, I can but, say like, it will definitely get better. No, I have to like <laughs> cover my base. It'll most likely get better. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Well, I'm looking forward so to getting again. better, so I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna take that with me. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah and, and, you know, and I and I think you know Jay and 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 um, Jocelyn, you know we are all each one of us on this call are artists in some way, okay? And I think that what we have is some wisdom because we're now at a place in our lives where we understand what's going on, and you know I think what's really important is that. Giving back, and it's always that dance, and I think Jay and Jocelyn, you can agree to this, it's always that dance between, you know, wanting to give and love others, okay, but making sure you take care of yourself too, because when you're on a plane and if you have a child, they tell you you have to save yourself first before you can save the child. Yeah. Because if you save save the child first and the child is okay, but it's without its parent, whether it's a father or a mother, they actually don't know what to do. So they might end up going yeah. themselves. So it, it's the importance of Jay and Jocelyn that we always take care of ourselves as well as we're taking care of the others around us. Because if we deplete our strength, there's nothing of us left. And people, people have very uh, short memories. You can be replaced in two minutes. Mm-hmm. So. It's important. To, it's important to always take care of yourself so that you always remember yourself. I totally agree with that, and that's part of the whole artist way thing that I'm doing. So I'm actually taking a three month hiatus, or at least I told myself I was going to take a three month hiatus. I, I the day I decided it um, was just literally a week or so ago. So I already had all these shows booked. So I was like, all right, well, of course I'm still going to do the shows that I I booked on, but I'm going to take a hiatus from the pressure I always give myself. Um, to write, right? Because when I perform, when I write, it's me expending energy. Um, and also, I stopped taking any new bookings for the next three months, so like, you know, so I can uh, scale down and, and just restore myself. So yes, I 100% agree. And then, and funnily enough, once I started this hiatus of mine, I have been more productive and, and more creative. Like I was like, okay, no more joke writing. And then I, I, I was writing down my pleasure list, like this are pleasures that I'm going to be experiencing. And all of a sudden, a joke started forming on a piece of paper. I, was like, I thought I was going to stop writing. But the, thing, but the thing is, I had not been able to write a joke or a good joke for, for weeks leading up to my hiatus. And, and that's when I realized I was burnt out. And the moment I gave myself that pause, that break, the creative 
the creativity started flowing a little bit again and 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 yeah we'll see what happens at the end of it i'm only at one and a half weeks in but uh that's a good um kind of like part two of what you just said that when you feed yourself first um that's when your creativity can then come out because like when we when we create it's us giving out right so we have to give ourselves as well so they have more to give yeah, and, you know, Jay, could you chime in on this? Because I know you always talk about your woodshed moments. <laughs> your woodshed yeah. moments. Yeah. yeah, it's important. It's, you know, some, some people can write under any condition, but some people write yeah. from the heart and from the spirit. And you, if you don't have a good day, it's kind of hard to write good things because, you know, you're not, you know, you're not feeling it. So I think you have to be in a good mood. You have to take that time. You've got to pamper yourself. You have to get yourself in the right scene. I'm imagining Jay now with a face mask and essential oils (laughs) and diffusers around him. (laughs) Exactly. So you need need to be in the right environment because, you know, unless you'll be writing some different kind of things. So, yes, I agree with her. Um, And you remember the the previous guest said they had to be, if they had a good day, they can come up with great music. And and same thing Mm, with me and you, yeah, when we write together, when we're having great, great times, then you can write positive things. And so, yeah, you have to be, to get that, you wake up in the morning, you get that energy from, from the source, you get the consciousness in you, you can write some great things. Yeah, that's awesome. I know a lot of comedians say comedy comes from a place of pain and you make pain funny. I never wanted to be that comedian. I never wanted to subconsciously create <laughs> shit in my life so I could create comedy. You know, I, I think comedy can come from a place of just joy and humor and observation and like you say, the, getting the energy from the source. I, I, that's the thing I'm experimenting with, like just letting you know this greater creator work through me rather than thinking it's all me, 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 which is very hard and ego-driven too. Well, I wanted to ask Jay one last thing um, and then and then close the show. Jay, you've always talked about, you know, because I do it now myself, um, Jocelyn as well, you always talked about this woodshed moment. I remember some years ago, I remember we would call you and you, you would tell everybody, look, I'm in my woodshed moment and I'm going to take that time. Can you say a little bit more oh, about that, it. Jay, just mm-hmm. a little bit? Well, um, yeah, I can. Um the great um, Miles Davis and John Coltrane, all of these great uh, Picasso uh, painters, Mozart, um, you know, Rembrandt, they all had to get away. Um, you know, you, all, you guys remember that movie Misery, right? When the guy was writing a book, he had to get away. You know, <laughs> you have to get away and go <laughs> to another place. <laughs> Not hoping that doesn't happen to either of us, but I'm just saying you have to get away to write what you're going to write. You got to get away from the, 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 the fire trucks, the, you got a woodshed. You got to get away from all the activities, family, friends. They need, everybody needs just to leave us the blank alone so you can woodshed and get yourself to where you want to be. So it's important to take a week or two to go and woodshed by yourself so you can get in touch with your inner self. Because everybody always talks about the outer mm. self, you know. Yeah, but nobody gets in touch. And me and you, Gail, we, we talked about the inner self. Nobody gets in touch with their inner self. Yes. And, and that's what Woodshed is about, getting in touch with your inner self. And well, you know, the funny thing for me, it, you know, the only thing I want to say in closing is this. You know, I do a little bit of what both you and Jocelyn do. For me, I get a lot of my Woodshed moments, my writing, 
And from my own inner experiences, because I do a lot of meditation, and I need a park and water for me to do it, like nobody around. But then the other side of that is my woodshed moments are also being in a foreign locale outside of this country where I'm talking to people or watching people, Mm -hmm. just watching people. I love the experiences. I love story. And that is what's always driven. And, you know, I'm going to share with you guys one uh, last very powerful thing that happened for me. So I'm at the U.N. and I meet I meet a group of elders from around the world, and this meeting was very held very quietly. It was private, and I can't go into it, but it was the indigenous community from every ounce of the world, and I was invited in. I was the only one invited in, and yesterday I happened to look at something they're doing in a production online, and I've been saying, what is next for me? Because I love traveling. I love music. I love all this stuff. And I happened to look online at something, and a woman who was teaching photography in a very remote locale in Colombia, the tears just started rolling, not because there was anything wrong in the locale, but because I have a project that looks through the lens of the camera, telling the, telling the life of what's going around through, through their lens. And I said, oh, my God, I just got my answer. Source just gave me my answer. God just told me, because I, I asked God, what is it that wow. makes for me? Because I'm, I, love, I, I love what I do, but I'm getting bored. And that's what came up. And I said, wow, I'm already doing that, so that's the way I need to head. And on another case, the music project that we have going into the UN, the person who sung the song is German and Iranian, and I'm sitting down at a hotel and just saying, we got three projects, which way do we go? I never hear this artist ever in the States. Her song comes up, and she has a song called Forward, Forward. It's like a jazz-type song. And it's forward. It says, go forward in life, go forward. So it's the artist that sung my song, who's been on The Voice and other places, and she's singing a song that says, go forward. So you can't get it any clearer. And that's, again, me being in my woodshed moment. So I just thought I would share that with you guys. When you put your mind to it and you take that time alone, you get your answers. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. So, guys, I thank you. As always, Jocelyn, I feel like we just made up for the time that we haven't seen each other. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, it's been a minute. <laughs> yes, and Jay, it was, as always, it's lovely being on the radio with you, my partner in all the good things in life uh, that we do business-wise. Thank you so much. I had to put the business-wise there because I didn't want anybody to think anything. Um, So with with that said, thank you, everybody, and have a uh, good day. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Justin. Bye. Bye, Jay. Bye.